0: My guest today is Jeffrey Tucker, author and founder of the Brownstone Institute. We discussed the West totalitarian decline, the growing COVID-19 reckoning, and the truth about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Jeffrey is one of my favorite writers, and I'm sure by the end of this episode, he'll be one of your favorites too. Stay tuned. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you for talking to me today, sir. Shirley, good to be here. Um, so I have been following Brownstone ever since you guys popped up. It it's funny cuz I was listening to you in a separate conversation and you had mentioned that it, it that you had started Brownstone during the COVID pandemic. And I was like, really? It's it's only been that short a period of time cuz I feel like Brownstone's been something that's been around for a long
1: time. Yeah. Uh, so, what was your motivation behind starting the Brownstone Institute? Well, I, you know, so many think tanks and research institutes and websites and institutions and magazines failed completely during the uh, during the COVID period. I mean, we had let's be clear on what we're talking about here: <laughs> the greatest experiment in totalitarian control of society on a global uh, level in the history of the world. Nothing like this has ever been done before, ever. Not even Stalin. Uh, had domestic capacity restrictions and um, closed the churches, cool. pardon me, and and tried to script all of human interaction, you know, with six feet of distance and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it. Uh, we've never seen anything like this, and it was done all over the Western world in complete violation of the Bill of Rights and uh, the, the normal liberties and law that we had been working for a better part of a thousand years to erect, so uh, it was clearly a crisis. And National Review supported it. I mean, so many people supported it. Uh, uh, libertarian organizations said nothing. Uh, the ACLU said nothing. The, um, uh, because it was done under uh, Trump initially, uh, that side of things was all for it. So <laughs> it was a shock to me to discover just how broken the ideological infrastructure of society really was that people just didn't know. They're like, well, you know, isn't this the way you deal with infectious disease? No. Uh, Infectious disease has been around since the beginning of time, whenever that was. And uh, uh, most of our bodies are made of pathogens. Uh, uh, We're always exposed to infectious disease all the time. There was nothing different about this. And even if there was something different about this, we've never dealt with infectious disease like this. It contradicted... At least a hundred years of public health experience. I mean, ever since public health was organized in, in the 1880s to deal with the commons uh, and and breakouts of cholera, uh, you didn't uh, you didn't muscle people on this level in this way uh, to deal with it, especially with the pseudoscience of masking and and the arbitrary six feet of distance and the plexiglass where we're endowsing dousing ourselves with hand sanitizer, which we know for sure uh, would make you sicker. So. I was shocked at just the intellectual failure. And, and then I was also uh, mentally dealing with uh, the, the issue of, like, how do we recover from this? You know, uh, we have unknowns we're faced with from, from the collapse of public health, the inflation, the economic issues, cultural issues, um, not to mention vaccine injury. So, you know, there's just so much to do uh, to figure out what happened. And what to do about it now? And I didn't see any other institution devoted to that, so I started Brownstone with the goal of bringing together people from all different um, ideological orientations and also professions—lawyers and writers and journalists and scientists—just uh, to address uh, the subject and to rebuild the foundations of of uh, of of human liberty and human rights. That that's the that was the number one goal. And that was in the spring of 21. Um and and people told me at the time, they said, well, this is dumb because COVID's ending, and then there won't be anything to discuss. Well, <laughs> I've I, I I've got more to discuss and I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. And 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 so it turns out that brownstone has become, I would say, a central place for the entire planet Earth. I mean, we have we're translated into 26 languages for examining what happened and what to do about it now.
0: Yeah. um, And and so that brings me to my next topic. You wrote uh, a a piece a few days ago uh, titled A Nation of Noncompliers. For people watching this, the link is in the description. Uh, It it is, in my opinion, the perfect essay. Uh, As an essayist myself, I read a lot voraciously, and your essay just blew everything out of the water. Um, You talk about uh the op- the opaque nature of they who are they right yeah. at the at the end of your piece and, and i wanted to ask you in, in your view do you have an idea of who they are
1: uh so you're asking me a question i've been thinking about for um uh, uh better part of four years and I, i'm i'm not sure that i'm closer uh, because than ever happened. Because every time you know somebody pops up that is blamed for everything, and they look closely at their works, so you realize, oh, this guy's an idiot. I mean, mm. it can't be true. It can't be true. So, um, Klaus Klaus Schwab is a clown. Uh, Bill Gates is a fool. Um, I guess those are kind of top two, um, claims. The pharmaceutical companies are in the running for sure but but it that doesn't explain how the pharmaceutical company companies got hold of the national security state which was intimately involved so I I don't think we have yet a sense you know I think I think it has something to do with national security uh, mm-hmm. and the CIA um but by their nature, those are secretive organizations and everything's sort of classified is as associated with it. and I assume that's one reason we have a hard time figuring out who they is because it's all it's all guarded secrets, you know and um and it's so guarded that that uh, hardly anybody really wants to talk about it. Uh, we have a, a constellation, and by constellation, I mean, like you look up in the sky, you see a bunch of stars, but if you squint and look the right way, you can see shapes of stars and you can turn them into figures. That's sort of what we have with the COVID response. We have constellations, but um, we have to be careful not to just imagine things that aren't there too. Uh, so, uh, But one thing we have learned is that uh, deep state actors, especially the national security state, are more, much more involved in civilian life and the construction of the of sort of um, narratives of control and the public mind than we ever knew. Um, I feel naive for not having known this in the past, but uh, the CIA has a desk for the right, for the left the libertarians for everything, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they they pick popular media venues and figure out ways to infiltrate them. This is their job, this is all they do. And these are pretty smart people. So I think it has something to do with that. L- let me just say that a story of the COVID pandemic response that doesn't address this elephant in the room is certainly incomplete.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I So I have an idea of they, and I want to pose it to you, and then you tell me what you think. I think one of the theys is communist China. And the reason why I think they're one of the days is because I saw the Mao brand of Marxism being piped into North American culture around 2010. Um, I've read extensively about history. That's most of my reading. And what I think they did was I think they slowly introduced a cultural revolution. I think the people behind everything we're seeing, they went on the Mao. They used the Mao model, but they, they understood that Mao's model was backward. And that's why it didn't work completely. Mao introduced, Mao did his great leap forward first and then introduced his cultural revolution. But by that time, so many people were starving to death or or dead that the general public consciousness was too weak to really accept the brainwashing. So what I think they did was they switched the order. They introduced our cultural revolution first and now as we're seeing A great leap forward is slowly being introduced under the cover of climate change. That's just my hypothesis and my idea. But it too closely resembles Maoism to ignore. Um,
1: Do do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I don't think that's entirely crazy. Um, I'll just give you an example of this. The idea of social distancing. Two days ago, Fauci was dragged for a subcommittee at the House of Representatives and and asked about where this idea of six feet of distance came from. And he said, well, I don't really know. It just kind of appeared. Oh, okay, great, Uh, Anthony Fauci. (laughs) Um, And Redfield said that they were just discussing it on our elevator and somebody suggested it and it kind of stuck. Okay. Um, And I had written about the history of social distancing According to an account I read in the New York Times, which has become very mainstream, which was that it came about in 2005 with a paper by a scientist at um, Sandia National Lab- Laboratory who got the idea from his daughter, who was afraid of cooties, and, uh, and 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 he wrote up a model how you can stop an infectious disease by having everybody stand apart, um, and that's what I, in my book uh, Liberty Lockdown that's. That's what it says. But, you know, my friend and a writer for Branson, Michael Sanger, uh, went one step further and discovered that this exact model for disease control was deployed by the CCP in 2003 and 2004 for SARS-1. So that is a very interesting template for, uh, for how SARS-2 was handled. What, what comes out of SARS-1... Um, it sounds like SARS too, right? So it makes sense. Uh, this, is, this was 2003, 2004. Uh, SARS hit China and uh, Singapore and then a few cases in Canada. It was quite deadly. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons it didn't spread was because it was because it was deadly. Like a pathogen needs to be widely, in order for a pathogen to be widely transmissible, it needs not kill its host. Uh, This is why these things tend to be self-limiting. So that which is very deadly, like Ebola, just doesn't spread very far. Um, And that which spreads very far tends to not be very deadly. There's an inverse relationship between severity and um, prevalence. Subject, of course, to the condition of latency, which is how long you carry the virus with you before, um, how long you're infectious before you're symptomatic. Okay, so, but... Uh, a coronavirus like this is going to be uh, have a latency of a typical flu or uh, any other cold, which is to say you'll probably be infectious two or three days before you begin to feel symptoms. And then your ability to spread the virus is going to stop two or three days before your symptoms are entirely gone. Okay, so that's that's the usual. And it turns out that's exactly what the case is with SARS-2. Uh, but with SARS-1 the World Health Organization got really involved. In fact, the EU spent billions of dollars uh, uh, preparing for uh, a pandemic outbreak of SARS-1, and the World Health Organization was all over it, and they uh, China imposed social distancing and did all these things, and SARS went away. I mean, it seemed to be stopped. And rather than observe that a pathogen like SARS-1 Uh, That it was as deadly as it was. I mean, it was like I'd say I don't remember the numbers, but you know, quite quite intense severity, like five five percent case infection uh, case fatality rate, that sort of thing, quite high. Um, The World Health Organization credited itself with stopping the disease, rather than just observing that it was self limiting, and that lesson stuck over the course of 16 years. Mm-hmm. So there was a widespread impression. In fact, everybody in public health has ever since then congratulated the glories of the CCP for stopping SARS-1 and the CCP and World Health Organization. And you can read it on the website, the World Health Organization takes, um, gives, gives and, and, and takes credit for having stopped this pathogen. So that set up a, a kind of an awkward situation. So when SARS-2 came out, which they were convinced was a bioweapon from a US funded lab in Wuhan. So how do we do with it? Well, let's go back to how the CCP dealt with uh, SARS-1 and they just copied that model. That's that's what actually happened. So that wouldn't surprise, your theory, I don't think is entirely implausible, um, but certainly the pandemic response itself was, was copied directly from China. I mean, in, uh, on February 16th, 2020, uh, Fauci's chief assistant named Clifford Lane um, boarded a chartered flight along with public health officials from the World Health Organization, the UK and the UN to Wuhan. And they went on a junket that lasted from about February 16th to February 24th. during much time they made a five-city tour and hosted by the CCP and said, look, we... Uh, uh, we welded everybody into their apartments. We made everybody stay inside and look, the virus disappeared. So this junket, these people in this junket were very impressed. They said, oh, good point. This is really nice. And on the way home in the chartered flight, they typed up a report about the glory of the uh, lockdowns in China, which the World Health Organization published on February 26th. And that was about the time when Fauci flipped and decided that he would support lockdowns. And then it was just uh, two weeks later, basically, that the U.S. locked down.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, to that, I, it, it's, I mean, I think we've become increasingly aware of China's involvement with the World Health Organization in terms of funding and influence. And it seems like, you know this World Economic Forum. As time goes on, and the more people I talk to, and the more I think about it, they, they just seem to me like to be a front organization. I mean, you're absolutely right in your assessment of Klaus Schwab. He's he's a clown. He's almost casted for the role that he's in, right? I mean, yeah. he's he's your perfect German, you know, evil supervillain, and and that's why I I don't really believe anything that come that comes out of his mouth. Mostly because he just doesn't seem to be that bright of an individual to begin with. He yeah. seems to be some a, a puppet and you know i've i've spent a lot of time thinking about the they who are the they and and it's difficult to answer that question because when you attempt it you find yourself kind of going down a rabbit hole into secret yeah. societies and club of rome and and right. you know banking families and so on and so oh, forth oh
1: yeah yeah and and these these theories get uh the, uh, they're not entirely wrong, but they they tend to get carried away with detail and not enough uh, explanation of of causation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've I'm on the phone all all the time, but people are saying, "Oh, you're missing the you know, the role of so and so and this or that." And they you know will burn up my phone for for a long time, you know, telling me the details of these things. But uh, this is quite often the way uh, conspiracy theories work. It's like like too much in the weeds and not enough big theory. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which. Uh, people who seem to be central actors in this turn out to be proximate actors. I would say that's, you know, like big tech and even pharma, you know, like once it became clear, we're going to lock down and there was going to be some great reset. um, They just all grabbed hold of it just like the politicians did. And they spent so, and just like the fed did, you know, cranking up 40, uh, 40% uh, increase in the money supply over the course of uh, just two years. Um, uh, everybody was grabbing a piece of the pie, you know, that was being baked at the time. So but that doesn't mean they, they put it in the oven. They just grabbed a piece once it came out. So, um, uh, But there are a lot of bad actors out there, uh, many bad actors, uh, big tech, the media, you know, and uh, and pharma and government, and especially the administrative state.
0: Yeah, and, and there are a lot of elements to this that feel like it was designed for a specific intended purpose, right? And again, this is venturing further into speculation, but if you look at where we landed in the world that we exist within now, I mean, it's a stark contrast to the world that we were in in, you know, 2018. And so it feels like in a lot of ways, a lot of what happened was was calculated or predetermined. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to get your 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 thoughts on this. You know, the World Bank predicted another slow year for global economic growth, which would make this the fifth year in a row and the worst period since the 1990s. Um, How valid, in your opinion, is that prediction? And do you think
1: they're on the nose? Or is it worse than than what they've stated? Well, uh, people keep wondering if we're going to be able to soft land this. I think we're asking the wrong question. I mean, the question is, did we ever even take off after March 2020? And I think the answer is no. I mean, we've we've experienced a, a dramatic declines in our standard of living and growth rates ever since March 2020. And I I think uh, I mean, there's enough error in the data collection. Uh, I, people aren't even picking up the phone anymore. It's hard to collect data when people don't answer questions and. Right. <laughs> and people are not answering questions anymore. So um, I'm, my best guess is that we don't, we've never had a recovery and that um, we're going to do a, a continued slow sink into oblivion. I mean, the, the inflation numbers for December just came out and they were shocking actually. Uh, we're at 3.4% for the year. And now that's, you know, uh, almost twice the Fed target. But what's interesting about that is that nobody expected it. we, even I didn't expect. I I had seen plenty of prices being, uh, you know, uh, on the downswing mm-hmm. at things you buy all the time at the grocery store. Uh, but now, as I think about it, I'm realizing, okay, that's mainly vegetables. Okay, well, vegetables are down in December and January. Mm-hmm. Everything else is uh, higher. So, um, uh, inflation is still terrible, and 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 velocity is on the rise, which which gives upward um, pressure. Uh, to prices, so and and money supply is increasing again, incredibly. So uh, it's not clear we're, we're through this. Uh, we've at least lost twenty cents on the dollar of purchasing power since twenty twenty, but maybe more. Uh, but it's it's going to it's going to continue like this, and 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 i I think that's the, a good scenario. I mean, if we can avoid a full scale financial crisis, that would be a, a great thing, actually.
0: Yeah, that's the, it's actually incredible to hear you say that because I I thought we were going in a different direction and and you're actually giving me a little bit of hope because you know I'm I'm in Canada and here it feels like we are experiencing a controlled economic demolition. Yeah. I mean it it feels like like there's some sort of um goal to all this because yeah. it's hard to believe that our government and I and I think you guys are experiencing the same thing in the US it's, it's hard to believe that our institutions are as incompetent as they are.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I, I I think, you know, in in August of 2020, Fauci wrote an article for the journal called Cell, in which he imagined reversing uh, 12,000 years of human history, in which we, we don't go on vacations, we don't gather in groups, we don't live in cities in crowded conditions, we don't most um, parties, we don't shake hands, we don't own pets, uh, we forage for our food, and and the population is dramatically lower. New York Times um, uh, wrote an article claiming that over the next, I don't know, 100 years or something like that, the population's going to decline by 90%. So um, uh, I think this is probably what they have in mind. I mean, these people are crazy people, uh, but whether they can get there or not is is another question. I mean one of the big problems they have with is the non-compliance, right? I mean, people have largely ignore uh, the signs and and the mandates these days. Um, but also the products that they've been putting out are not performing well in the market from EVs to you know Mark Zuckerberg's threads to uh, uh, fake meat, you know, not nothing's really working uh, mm. in a market sense. so, uh, that's a major problem. I mean, we have remnants of capitalism still left in the system, and people don't like what uh, the World Economic Forum is selling. So uh, and 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 the US anyway, DEI and ESG standards, all these things seem to be a little bit on the ropes. So they may have pushed it as far as they possibly can. Um, that doesn't see so here's the problem though. Um, I don't want to get too celebratory about our victories because uh, the bad guys treat our victories as as temporary setbacks. You know they're absolutely determined to achieve this. They have this view that we should not ever be using fossil fuels. Uh, that um, everything should be powered by wind and and water and sunbeams, mm-hmm. and and that uh, modern life as we know it is is wasteful and and disease ridden and really has to go. So this is what they think. I I've called it techno primitivism their ideology. It's extremely creepy because it's not it's not quite um socialism and it's not fascism. And it's certainly not capitalism. It's it's something else. Uh, they have a whole series of industries that they want to run the world and there are new industries uh, tech and data and, um, and renewable uh, energy sources and this sort of thing. They want all these, and the people who make um, uh, solar panels and wind turbines and these kinds of things, they want them to get all the money in the future and to take it away from uh, oil companies, fossil fuels and uh, ranchers and that sort of thing. So the, this is their goal. And if you read Klaus Schwab's book, that's that's what he imagines. It's it's not a world of socialism, it's a, it's a world of corporatism. Where his favorite industries get all the money, you know. So that's where that's where they're driving us with the central bank digital currencies and, and so on. That's where that's where they want us to go, uh, but the masses of people are pushing back in ways they never expected. By the way, so um, this is really the important thing. We've got. Um, an angry public, you know, basically all over Europe, UK, uh, Canada, and the US, all Commonwealth countries, uh, people are, are extremely mad. They're mad about the vaccine mandates and the vaccine inju- injuries. But more than that, that, you know, the, it's, it's now obvious that the elites are trying to take away from us our gas cars and our and our hamburgers. Yeah. Um, so y- you've got people extremely upset and very suspicious and angry at the national media and angry at big tech and angry at the politicians. Uh, we're seeing resignations all over the Western world from uh, public health. Uh, people are fleeing, so it's not it's not working. And uh, the world really is on fire with all the wars and and so on. Uh, everything's broken these days, and somebody broke it, you know. and and, and this is why populism is gaining such traction. You know, uh, politically, uh, all over the world, um, I, I worry about this populism because I don't think it's very ideologically focused or philosophically sophisticated. But but it is full of of rage, real rage, like yes. we've never seen before, and that's that's got to have some consequences. I mean, uh, totalitarianism is not a very viable system unless people believe it. You know. That's when it really works, is when when the masses of people are on board with it. But if 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 you've got a tiny tiny number of people trying to manage a world population of eight billion people who are non compliant, it's very likely not going to work. Um, how that pans out in history, we we don't really know yet because we've never faced anything like this. We've never seen a, a case of basically kind um, of. A revolutionary situation taking place in Western um, industrialized democracies. Before we we don't know what that looks like. We know what it looks like in in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. in Eastern Europe, but we don't know what it looks like in in Canada, Australia, and the U.S. and the U.K. So we're about to find out though, um, and it's it's going to be interesting to watch because there's there's not going to be any uh, closing this Pandora's box that was opened with with lockdowns. It's it's got everybody uh, absolutely crazy. And by the way, this is intensifying. It's not as if p- people are going back. This is where the mistake was when people told me I shouldn't start Brandstone because this is all going away. I knew it wasn't going away. <laughs> if anything, it's getting much more intense. There's more interest in our content than ever before. Um, we have more and more people realizing they're sold a bill of goods, they're furious. I mean, they played um, games with our health and our lives. I mean, that's, and, and, and the children right? And close their schools for two years. You can't do that and expect it just to just vanish uh, or expect there to be a widespread amnesty and life goes on. That doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I talked to Dr. Malone just a few days ago, and I asked him about who's who's going to be the fall guy for this, because it seems like the walls are closing in. Uh, you know, Anthony Fauci was back, you know, uh, being uh, interrogated again. And, uh, You know, of course, it was behind closed doors and we don't have access to a lot of what was said uh, there, but it seems like they're starting to set people up for a fall. I mean, do you you see that happening?
1: Um, Yeah, well, they're they're going to, uh, yeah. Uh, So the way this works is that you have to feed the masses. You have to get somebody's head on the platter. Hmm. And it's it's a, a dispute about who that's going to be. But uh, the way they treated uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is a good example, right? I mean, he wasn't supposed to get in any trouble whatsoever. Uh, but they made him spend a few months in jail, and now they're going to – and they dropped the most severe charges. But he'll have to pay some price because the, the, the masses need some kind of limited hangout. So it could be that Fauci will be the guy. By the way, Fauci is one of the most hated people in the whole f- federal bureaucracy. I mean, everybody despises this guy. Um, all the scientists at academia and the nonprofits, uh, they all hate him, uh, he's had too much power for too long. And they, they hate having to be nice to an asshole for decades. <laughs> <laughs> they're really mad about it. Yeah. So, um, you've seen, uh, Hans along the way over the last couple of years that, that he's, he's it, that they're going to tag him and, 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 uh, get rid of him. So, um, and he's quite old, you know, so that works for them. Yeah. Like okay, let's throw this guy on the bus and then hope everybody's satisfied with that. But I don't, I don't think it's going to work because there were so many people involved at so many levels, um, and you know it's 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 very interesting the way all this is playing itself out. I mean, in the U.S. case, uh, Trump was the guy who greenlighted all the lockdowns, and so but he doesn't want really to talk about that. Uh, he you know before going into interviews, he makes sure. That his role in lockdowns are, are not uh, discussed uh, at all, and he's never provided an accounting for what actually happened in the days between March sixteenth and March uh, March tenth and March sixteenth. He's never really explained that. Uh, he just pretends like it doesn't matter. Uh, so he's trying to make sure this doesn't is not discussed, and that's why he's not debating uh, Desantis and and Haley and Ramaswamy because he doesn't want this, this subject coming up. He needs his followers to believe that he's the good guy, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, and, and same with the left, you know, they the, the left has always been about freedom and uh, civil rights and, and um, free speech and that sort of thing. Well, they turned their backs on all those ideals, you know, completely and threw themselves into a corporatist racket and they don't want to disgust either. So, you know, it really is up to us. Uh, to to keep the subject going, to keep doing the research, keep publishing our stuff, keep uh, doing our podcasts. And um, that's why we're getting so much attention. I mean, they can't shut us all up. And the thing is that we're growing in numbers mm-hmm. uh, every day. You know, I mean, when I first started this anti-lockdown stuff, you know, it was back in, you know, from day one, you know, in middle of March, uh, 2020, but I was completely alone. And I was for the better part of a year. I mean, a few a few others, but, but now, I mean, there's hordes of people that are furious about this. It's yeah. Okay.
0: Like yeah. I'm here. I, I like for, you know, for me, I, I. Relaunched this podcast, you know, back in October because there aren't enough voices in Canada. You right. know, there's, there's a very small, there's a very small handful of us. And I thought, you know what, somebody needs to start talking because what we're experiencing up here, I, I feel like we are ground zero for whatever insane, ideas are going to be applied to you know other western countries just months or even years down the road so I, I felt like we, you know we kind of have a responsibility to tell everybody what's happening here because it's it's scary I mean with the carbon taxes I mean oh, yeah. to, to, today we you know we had a cold snap I'm in Alberta we are currently at negative 26 degrees celsius mm-hmm. um negative 40 degrees with the windshield wind chill, and you know I for myself, I'm middle class, you know, my family's comfortable, we can turn on the heat without much worry, but, you know, I on days where it's negative 10, negative 20, I leave the furnace off because, because of the carbon taxes. And I think about people who may not be as fortunate as us financially. Sure. Um, I mean, the, uh, having a $400 utility bill when it's negative 30 degrees outside, that's a death sentence for mm-hmm. some people, you know? And so, I know we—I I know you got to get running here. So I just want to ask you one final question. But before we conclude, um, you know, you talked about populism, and and I've always been a, a believer in in good populism. I think there's good populism and bad populism. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Trump, the way that he campaigns and the way that he talks is exactly what you described. It's rage-based. It's anger. It's hate. It's uh, you know he alludes to revenge on you know the people who are indicting him and and vindictiveness yeah. and then you have Robert Kennedy Jr. who I think is on the side of good populism. Mm-hmm. He speaks directly to the people, but he clearly has a vision and he clearly knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Now the United States is in a precarious position right now politically. I, I, this is one of the most interesting political periods in the U.S. in in, in my in my lifetime. Um, you have, uh, an incumbent who is, I mean, for lack of a better word, brain dead, you know, I mean, I, he's not there. Right. And you have Trump who is on his way to try to reclaim the white house. And then you have Robert Kennedy jr. Who, in my opinion, is the most viable um, candidate for president that the U S has had in a long time running as an independent. Um, do you have any view on how this plays out over the next six months
1: uh i i know there's a chance for rfk uh politically which is saying something because uh canada has a parliamentary system so that minority voices can get a a a voice in in government but the u.s has a winner-take-all system you know uh in all elections house senate presidency so what that means is that it becomes very difficult for anything but the two parties. Uh, what people do when they vote is not to vote for the person they want. They vote against the person they fear the most. So uh, you might love RFK. And in fact, 80% of voters might love RFK. But, But if you fear Biden, you're going to vote for Trump, even if you hate him. Or if you fear Trump, you're going to vote for Biden, even if you hate him. Um, this just the logic of political uh choice. Uh, the law is called Duvinger's law, but it's it's in any any uh, uh democratic elections where it's a winner take all system it will ultimately default to two choices. So it would have to be pretty unusual circumstances for RFK to be able to uh, uh cut through that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but um i I, I think it's fairly unlikely. Um, and that's that's really tragic uh, because, and also the U.S. is a lot like Canada in the sense that our big cities dominate the political uh, environment. I mean, you you say you live in Alberta. I mean, as, as far as I know, Alberta is almost universally you know what we in the U.S. would call red, uh, red yeah. zone. I mean, like nobody mm-hmm. l- likes your prime minister, whoever his name is. I forget. Oh, Danielle Daniel Smith, but just, just Oh no, she's great. Um I'm talking about Oh, you about mean
0: Justin Trudeau, yeah. Justin yeah. Trudeau,
1: like everybody hates this guy, right? But it has no uh effect in Canada. So it's very similar in the US. So the, the big cities, uh like nobody likes Biden, but the big cities will vote for him because they hate Trump. You know, so um it's a problem. The other thing that's very interesting in the US right now is we have we had a ton of people from so-called blue states move to red states, which mm-hmm. Over the next uh, five or ten years, is going to dramatically cha- change the political uh, balance of power in, in the U.S., and that's that's the reason for the migrant crisis. They're importing uh, voters from from all parts of the world and shoving them in the cities as fast as they possibly can. Um, you can vote generally in federal elections as a undocumented um, alien. You know, as incredible as that is, I mean, you just can't even believe that's true, but it really is true. So they're, they're impor- importing voters to, and uh, to counteract these trends otherwise. And, and I tell you what, you cannot um, overestimate the significance of the migrant crisis for, for the US uh, political temperature right now. People are, are beyond furious whether it's in New York or Texas or or anywhere um people are just losing their minds about millions upon millions and millions of people just pouring in i mean it it feels like the country's being sacked you know mm. and um and that's the kind of stuff that makes people just just cr- crazy just crazy and libertarians always underestimate this cuz we generally like uh immigration we're like oh yeah immigration's great but uh for regular the people, uh, to crash your political system by these alien and invaders by the by the millions who do no work, live on welfare, and nonetheless get to vote in your elections, that is that is really playing with fire. So we'll see how it pans out.
0: Yeah. And uh just to just to mention one thing uh before we go, in Canada, um, we actually with with Justin Trudeau in our last, last election, he won a minority government and um uh, to save himself from a vote of no confidence from our our conservative party he created a uh, coalition government with our ndp party which is our our socialist party and that's how we ended up with him we're we're locked into a government we didn't vote for
1: yeah it just doesn't work does it uh, there's so much broken about politics in the world um uh so far in human history we've not really figured out how to put together a very large government that is also responsive to the people. Uh, Those two things have never really go together. So the only real way we have... Understand, you know, how to limit government is just to make sure it's just tiny and as relevant as possible. I mean that but we're so far from that at this point. Yeah. That, that's a system that used to be called liberalism. I mean that was <laughs> it, it was it, you know started to be born at the Magna Carta, came came to fruition in the enlightenment, you know, was president of the American Revolution. Those are the ideals that we have to recapture. Um, and there's no shortcuts to get there. It's not about getting You know the right person in office what we need to do is dramatically somehow figure out a way to dramatically diminish the power of government and to make it impossible for even bad guys to get control of it and and wreck society again that's that's the agenda how we get from here to there i i don't know but it has something to do with popular opinion that much i'm sure
0: yeah and you know i i I, I went into 2020 a liberal and came out a more of a libertarian myself, um, just kind of seeing the shortcomings in in these political ideologies, right? And libertarianism yeah. seems to be more appealing nowadays than anything, because I think sure. we're starting to see the, the danger in being on a team, so to say, on the right or the left, right? And yeah. so um, Jeffrey Tucker, thank you so much for your time. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Yeah, I'm I write every day for Epoch Times and then uh more recently, um almost every day for Brownstone. So that's really just two articles a day. <laughs> so you can get sick of me if you want. Uh you can certainly get sick of me if you want. Um I'm sick of me. But um and I do appreciate it when people go to brownstone.org and subscribe to our emails. We send one a week.
0: Yes, I'm on that list myself. So um uh, for everybody watching, I want to just highly recommend uh, Jeffrey's uh, Nation of Noncompliers essay. It is in the co- it is in the co- description below. Please read it. Please read Jeffrey's work. You're one of my favorite writers, and as a writer, it's uh, it's such an honor to talk to 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 a guy I look up to. If this was a different conversation, I would have asked you about your process for an hour and and bored everybody to death. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, yeah that. Thank you so much for your time, Jeffrey. I really appreciate pleasure. it. Pleasure.
1: Thanks for thanks for, uh, for thank you for taking the time. All the best.